to America's auto enthusiast program. This is Auto World. And now, here's your host, Bob Long. Welcome, everybody. Thank you very much for joining me here today for another hour of Auto World. In this hour, we're popping the hood. We're going into the Auto World garage, and standing forth is our lubrication specialist. That's right. Backed by popular demand, Dan Watson from TheLoopPage.com. He's CEO of TheLoopPage.com. And um, we're going to be talking about a gamut of things, taking your calls. Number one, I want to remind everybody we are live, so you can dial us up at 855-660-4261. That's 855-660-4261. Or... Via the email, bob at autoworldradio.com. Right now, let's go to the Auto World guest lines and bring forth the one and only CEO of uh, Dan Watson. Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Bob. I just want to caution you now. You know the child labor laws if you got her in there trying to run your computer for you. That's right. I better be careful. That's right. These kids learn these things so fast these days. It wouldn't be a mind bender to have a five year old running a computer. I mean, they just amaze me the way they do this stuff. Well, Dan, uh, why don't we begin by today's program? I know we've got some backed up uh, emails and and calls that that you have received that we're going to go over. But uh, today is the eighth of July, two thousand and. Uh, and 18, hard to believe it, but true. Is there anything particularly on your mind or bothering you today? Well, one thing that has that I've run into this last week, and it comes up every once in a while, and it's kind of almost like the forgotten topic, but this is filtration and in specific uh, oil filters, okay? So much misleading stuff goes on about this, and I will go to that old adage, uh, if it uh, seems that it doesn't cost enough and it's the greatest deal you've ever seen, then it probably isn't everything that it is, and it probably isn't all that much, and you shouldn't believe it, because if you're going to make an oil filter, there's some quality things you can put into it, or you can just stamp out some things that are really, really poor performing components. Now, what I want to talk about for a minute is how you hear ratings and performance qualities bandied around by different advertisers and so forth. And they'll say, uh, this uh, is filter is rated, uh, its nominal rating is such and such, right? Meaning it is a nominal rating for microns or the size particle removed is uh 10 microns nominal, okay? Well, what in the world does all that mean, okay? And should you even care what they're saying? So let me try to explain it a little bit. A micron is a very, very, very small measurement. For example, there a human hair is about 40 microns thick, okay? So when we begin to talk about particles in micron size, we're starting to talk about removing some small things. So if I had a 20 micron particle, that would be about half the width of a normal human hair on your head, okay, for the average person. Now, 
if I use the term nominal, believe it or not, what nominal means is the 50% rating, which means that every other 20 micron particle, if that was the rating, a 20 micron nominal, right? Well, that would mean that mm-hmm. it removes 50% of the 20 micron particles that come through the filter. That's what that means. Now, you don't hear a lot of stuff explained, so you will hear the interchange of this micron rating and nominal, and then you will hear other people using a different rating because they'll be talking about that it is uh, basically an absolute filter at 20 microns, and what that means is it removes uh, more than 98% of the 20 micron particles that would be going through the medium. The other part about it is is that the test can either be a single pass. We just pump, say, 20 gallons of oil from one tank through the filter over into another tank. That's called a single pass. Or it could be a multi-pass filter, meaning that we continue to cycle that 20 gallons through that filter a hundred times. That'd be a hundred passes. Would be a multi-pass filter. So, as a consumer, what are you really looking for? Well, what you're looking for is, of course, that micron size. I'll explain why that would be important to you in just a moment. Mm-hmm. But you really want a filter that is tested multi-pass and that has an efficiency rating on it, not a nominal rating. When you see a nominal rating, you should just just look at that and say, "Well, this is a." Any sense of filter doesn't perform very well, and that's the, all they could do for it was to throw a nominal rating on it because it's removing every other particle, and that's not a very good efficiency rating. Now, if you see one that says that it is absolute uh, or it actually gives a removal rating of you know, 90, 98%, whatever it does, that means that these guys are making a good filter, and they're and they're proud to put that rating on the filter to tell you, and you can read it. Now, micron size itself, what is a really good micron rating? And I would tell you that micron rating of, of 20 is a good filter. There's a lot of micron ratings in the, in the industry that are uh, 30, 35, or 40 microns. Now, the reason we worry about microns at all is because the Society of Automotive Engineers, the SAE guys, they've done studies to find out where you get the most wear in an engine from uh, abrasive particles in the oil that's circulating in all those rubbing spots, right? For our, for our folks out there listening, it's kind of like if you think about it, if you know anything about rubbing compounds for a car, you can buy some super fine rubbing compound and you can take a polishing buffer and you can buff out some old uh, you know, oxidized paint and make it look pretty good and get it, bring it up to snuff. But you've got to use some incredibly fine buffing uh, paste to do that. If it's too coarse, you just take the paint right off the surface of the car and you don't have to worry about it looking good. You'd be down to metal. So when it comes to the size of these particles, you've got these close tolerances and these bearing surfaces where there's oil and it's rotating. And if it's too abrasive, it'll do the same thing as that that buffer with that polish on it, that, uh, and it'll start to remove, the, you know, polishing the surface, but actually removing the surface of the bearing. So we want to keep those particles as small as possible. 
Okay, now we run up against another problem with filters. Uh, these new cars use lightweight oils, and they're required for the oil pump to pump at pretty high flow. In the 1970s, 80s, we used four-gallon per minute oil pumps. Mm-hmm. Starting in the 1990s, we started using eight-gallon per minute oil pumps in almost every car out there. So what that meant was it put the pressure on the filter world because not only do you have to get this thing to remove a lot of particles, have a very dense or effective filter medium, but, uh-oh, you've got to allow up to you know eight gallons per minute of flow through this thing. If you restrict flow, that's the worst thing you could do is restrict flow to the bearings because now you're going to be lacking oil. Okay, and that can cause wear. So I'm almost done with this. I'll finish it, I promise, right after the break. It's very interesting, to say the least. And if you have a question, give us a call at 855-660-4261. This is Auto World. Giving your radio a broadcasted tune-up. This is Auto World and your host, Bob Long. Welcome back, everybody. It's my daughter Lucy in the background. So, we saw the movie Incredibles uh, yesterday, and so, of course, she's looking for Mr. and Mrs. and the entire Incredibles family. Toys. <laughs> Toys. Dan Watson is with us from thelubepage.com, and he's been telling us about a bit of concern that uh, came his way this week, and you were telling us about the filtration problems that uh, are going on out there. Tell us more, Dan. Yes, Bob. One that concerned me is that uh, as much as I talk all the time about using a high-quality lubricant, uh, one of the critical things in any lubricating system, especially where you have an internal combustion engine, is maintaining a clean lubricating product and not becoming overly contaminated, especially with grit dirt and particles. Here's what I want to kind of take this to a head and tell people. When you get a filter, what you should find out is that filter will have some type of um, micron particle rating. If you can find something that's a 20 micron, that's that's an excellent rating. You may see some people that claim that they have uh, lower ratings on that, but be careful. They may tell you that they've got a 10 micron rating, but if you look careful, that might be the uh, nominal rating at 10 microns because mm-hmm. we talked about flow rate. You've got to have know these things. have got to handle the flow rate. The the industry, the automotive industry said, hey, we're going to higher flow rates because they're going to use a thinner oil, and that thinner oil has to pump through faster in all these areas to keep it from overheating, and then it's going to have to get through this filter to do that. So it's got to have an eight-gallon per minute flow capacity, Okay. Now, the next thing is, is if I put this filter on and it's got such a low capacity to store filtered out stuff, and in 500 miles, the entire filter medium is the, the design is filled up, but what happens is it'll start to tear holes in it and it'll just do what they call streaming and it really stops filtering. So wow. I have to have a filter that can actually go the distance of the life, I say, with the storage capacity in that filter medium that it will be able to trap all this stuff and not fill up all of its filtration sites and eventually be just a solid block that nothing can get through unless it tears a hole. Now, 
is is that uh, all these filters, believe it or not, manufacturers for the car, they have certain what they call burst pressure ratings that you have to have on the filters. If it meets the OEM spec, uh, it may require that the canning be good for 100 pounds per square inch. People say, well, why is that? Cars don't ever run more than 40, 50, 60 pounds of oil pressure. Well, that's true, but if you start the car up in very cold weather and it mm-hmm. really pumps, that oil pump will probably reach some peaking pressures before it warms up that will exceed that normal high end of 70 pounds or something, and you may be hitting 100 pounds. So the guys that make the car, they calculate that, and they know what they want for a canning uh, PSI rating for the, the actual steel can. Uh, for example, on a Chevy Duramax diesel, uh, they had to make a specially strong can because they found out they had, some, for some reason, some pulsating pressures in that engine when they would start it up, and you could have 150 PSI pulsing pressures. And the original filters designed for it, it just uh, ballooned them, blew them up like a balloon. So uh, it's important that you know that you meet the OEM spec. The next thing is a number of these uh, filters, if they're good quality, should have what's called an internal relief valve system. And what that means is if for whatever reason you really got a bunch of trash, debris in the oil and the filter got it all filtered out, but it did clog the filter up, the most important thing is that you continue to have oil flow. And so if I have an internal relief system, what will happen is when you reach a certain differential pressure across the filter, it will open that relief and just allow oil to pass through. It's better to have unfiltered oil than it is to have no oil at all going to your bearings. That that would be the, the disaster. So high-quality filters will cost you some money. Do not expect to go finding 4 and $5 filters. Uh, for example, at Napa Auto Parts, they have like four or five levels of filters. And their top one, their platinum filters, are designed with everything in mind, and they're not cheap. But that's the top-rated filter. You can buy a filter for 4 bucks, but it's usually a paper filter medium, and after about 500 miles, it's done filtering. So for the next three or 4,000 miles you drive it, it's not doing anything for you. But it was cheap. Put it on there. It didn't cost you much, but you got what you paid for. It's not worth much. Now, the trend in filters, before we leave this topic, is mm-hmm. they're all going to cartridge filters, Bob, away from the regular spin-on. And no this kidding. is where you have a can that has got a, a gasket and so forth or an O-ring. And this can is actually uh, in place. And inside of it, it has this cartridge. So when the can comes off, you take this cartridge out, you, you put a new cartridge in, and then you reinstall the canning over that. People are going, why are they going to that? We got rid of that in the early 50s and the 60s. What is that for? Well, it's because of the disposal requirements for filters. I take that cartridge out, right? We throw it in a thing. It goes off to to the recycle people, and all they have to do is press those things in a really heavy, heavy press like an old washing machine wringer. But they run them through there, they squeeze all the oil out of them, and then they can burn them or bury them if they want to. But when you have a regular full-size spin-on filter, you have to have a place which actually has a system where they get those those things are flopped into a position and a saw has to cut the can off the plate so that they can then get it apart and get that filter element out and get rid of it and then recycle all the metal over to 
some type of, you know, metal recycling. So it's a much more complex thing than the cartridges, which are completely disposable once they've had all the oil pressed out of them. So our customers are, you know, your, our listeners, you just have to, as they say, uh, buck up and realize that uh, you're going to get cartridge filters. That's coming down the way mm-hmm. in the future, probably going to be mandated at a certain point that that's all they'll be able to put on cars by the EPA requirements. So anyway, I hope that will help people with filters. I, I just run into this problem a lot, and filtration is so important to your engine because, remember, this is an internal combustion engine. You get a lot of byproducts of combustion, and they make little funny things, and they combine up with other stuff, and then you get carbon waste, which is in the oil, and sometimes if you buy cheap oil, you also get trash in the oil that you put in. So all this stuff makes stuff that a lot of filters, once that stuff gets to a certain size, the filter will trap it and take it out. So you don't want to ignore filtration when you're setting up how you're going to take care of your vehicle. And for me, I always tell everyone, okay, if you've decided that you're going to change your oil at 5,000 miles, even though you might have, I might tell you you could go longer, here's the thing. Change your filter every time you change your oil. Don't be one of these people who say, well, I just drained the oil out, put some more oil in the filter, I'll be good for another go. No, change that filter every time you change that oil. Great advice as usual from Dan Watson from thelubepage.com. We'll take a pit stop and then much more. Hi, this is Jay Leno, and you're listening to Auto World with Bob Long. What's up, man? How you got it? Tell that there. I'm telling Thank you very much for us here on Auto World. Hey, Dada, As usual, anytime Dan Watson, CEO of the Lube Page, is with us, uh, we get lots of up-to-the-minute information when it comes to lubrication, and I was not aware of that cartridge situation. And, Dan, I'm, I'm so happy that you you brought that into focus here because I could see that being a very confusing. I can understand the reason why they're doing it, but uh, it, it's a big change, and it's going to confuse a lot of people. Well, unfortunately, there's a lot of stuff in the auto industry that is driven, you know, you've been around this industry, you've watched it. A lot of stuff is driven by uh, government uh, mandate, what they tell them they're going to have to do. And then people sometimes, you know, blame the uh, the manufacturer, you know, oh, why are they doing this? Uh, well, they don't want to do it either. But uh, when the government gets involved, it's usually going to be uh, an unpopular <laughs> Intrusion. That's the way it usually turns out. Now, I don't know. We've been we've had these uh, spin-on filters now uh, for 50 years, and uh, they've got all kind of places set up to recycle those filters. Mm-hmm. So it is almost as if it's also you think of it as well. Maybe it it's another thing that says you don't need to be messing with this as the owner. Take it somewhere where they can mess with this because this might get a little bit messy when you have to do it. And so it was kind of another mm-hmm. reason to uh, persuade the 
the owner of the automobile, the best thing to do is just let the dealership or somebody take care of it. Why do you try to do this stuff yourself? You know. Yeah, anyway, that's point. probably my conspiratorial mind thinking that. I think the same way. Yeah, I just can't <laughs> believe it. But well, let's see if we got some questions we can get to, Bob, and try to. Uh, we sure do. We got Terry in Atlanta asking. I understand setting mileage limits on oil, but why is there a one-year limit on AMSOIL to change regardless of the miles on the oil? Well, it is a good question, and it doesn't just apply to AMSOIL, the one year, because most of the oil companies still making out there making petroleum oil, they're going to tell you 3,000 miles or three months is actually what it says in their literature, and... So we're saying with our synthetic products, one year or 25,000 miles in the signature series, one year, 12,000 miles in what we call our XL series. So where does this come from? Why do all the lubrication manufacturers put some type of time limit on the oil? What the heck is going on? Well, here's what it is. Oils are manufactured with additives to counter certain conditions. Now, one of the things that is the most destructive to uh, engine oil is moisture, okay? What is not recognized by folks is that when there is dew on the windshield of the car, there's actually uh, condensation on the inside of the engine. I'd ask, well, how would how can that be? Well, let's just think for a minute. I got my car sitting under the carport or outside, and uh, during the day it's eighty, ninety degrees, hundred degrees, whatever it is. Well, everything heats up, the engine block, everything equalizes with that temperature. Okay. Now I move to the evening, and it begins to cool down outside, and we can see when that. Windshield gets to the dew point, it starts forming dew on the windshield. Well, when that metal structure gets to the dew point, it's going to form dew. And how it can get moisture is because the engine breathes. You know, the engine has got an air intake uh, through a filter, but that filter doesn't stop moisture. So if there's high humidity in the air, when it got hot that day, the air inside the engine got hot, and it expanded, and it pushed out. But in the evening, when it gets cool, that air inside the engine now contracts as it gets cooler and sucks in air from outside. It's called breathing. The engine breathes on a cycle that amounts to the change in ambient temperature. So it pulls moisture in. When it pulls that moisture in and hits the dew point inside, it all condenses. And when it does, those little droplets of moisture all go trailing down and drop into the sump or the oil pan, and they're now... You have moisture in the oil. Well, oil and water don't mix very well, but that's not the end of the story. Water is a combination of hydrogen and oxygen. That oxygen mixed in with the oil actually is a oxygen, I can get to say this right, oxidation catalyst. It actually starts to cause some oxidation in the oil as it begins to mix and break it down. Well, the oil has additives to combat oxidation. They're called oxidation stabilizers, oxygen stabilizers, okay, chemicals to do that. So here's the point. If every day I go through 
what you could refer to as a cycle. I'm going to have a temperature of warmth down to a cool point, and that's one cycle. Then I go back up to temperature and back down to the cool point. That's another cycle. That's two cycles. Now let's add in another complicating factor. That's the fact that you drive the car. So not only do I have the standard change in the daily temperature, but I get in the car and I drive it to work. It went all the way up to a high temperature. Then I park it. It cools all the way down. It sucks new air in. And in many cases, there will actually be some condensation of that inside the engine. So I am going through these temperature cycles, and I am dealing with moisture as a byproduct of those cycles of temperature. So what the chemist and the guys in the oil industry have to figure out is what's the average cycle that somebody would do, despite the daily one, for driving your car and how much moisture content over a period of time would that create? And in doing so, how much of the antioxidant additive would we wear out or use up chemically combating the situation. And by the way, we also have to worry that the moisture will combine with nitrous oxide, make nitric acid. It'll combine with any sulfur compounds in the byproduct of combustion and form sulfuric acid. So now my alkaline additive, which is to maintain the engine with no acid in the oil, is being beat up by this cycle up and down and this moisture content coming in and out. So to keep it straightforward and not too deep in the weeds, we're fighting moisture on a cyclical basis, and the determinations are made by the people that manufacture the product of about how many cycles can this oil do and still have an additive package that can support good lubrication and combat future acid and moisture, and that's what they base the time on, not the miles, because a person could start their car up and drive five miles to work, or they could live in California and start their car up and drive 80 miles to work. So the cycle doesn't care how far you go. It just cares about how you change temperature from room temperature to maximum operating temperature of the engine, and then a couple hours later back down to room temperature, and then the afternoon before you're coming when you're going to come home from work, you start it up again at room temperature and take it up to maximum temperature and then drop it down again. And then when you get home, you park it, and it continues to cool down in the evening. And then the next morning, you come out and start it up. So believe it or not, you can produce a lot of moisture in all those cycles, and yeah. uh, it has to be taken into consideration because they have to base the additive package on the expectation of use in order to give you um, adequate protection throughout the worst conditions that you could create in your driving. So that's what it's all about. And so the fact that Amsoil gives a one-year cycle, mm-hmm. I'd indicate the stability of the oil to begin with, to be able to go that long. So, hey, great answer. I hear when, we can, <laughs> when we come back, uh, we're going to field a question from New York and Maybe Florida as well. This is Auto World. Bob Long with Dan Watson. 
radio of broadcasted tune-up. This is Auto World and your host, Bob Long. Have you heard the story of the hot rod race with the Fords and Legos was set from coast to coast, border to border, around the world at GCNlive.com? This is Auto World. I'm Bob Long with Dan Watson from the Loop Page, where he's CEO. You can email up Dan, Dan Watson at the com. You can also email me anytime, Bob at AutoWorldRadio.com. And if you have a question right now and like to get through, we do have some open lines at 855-660-4261. Ready for another question? This one's from New York, Dan. All right. It's uh, Melissa, and uh, she writes, I drive a taxi, and sometimes I idle a lot waiting for pickups. I was told I have to use use hours of runtime to do all my services instead of using miles. Is this true? A good question. Well, it is a good question, and it's something that uh, more and more we're trying to get the word out on this that people understand. Um, the engine oil and the transmission oil, when you're sitting there idling, they're still working. doesn't yeah. care if your wheels are moving. That engine is running. That Engine oil is circulating and working, and uh, time is accumulating on it. Now, your torque converter in the transmission, it's still sitting there uh, actually pumping oil uh, around and up to the cooler in the front under the radiator and back. And so what uh, you have to understand is that when the car is running, that time matters. And for most people, it's not a big deal because most of us get in the car, we drive somewhere, we turn it off, we go into the restaurant, we do whatever we're doing there, we eat, we come back out, we get in the car, we drive it home, we turn it off. But people like taxi cab drivers and police officers and other fleet-type operators that many times they turn the vehicle on, they start it up, and it doesn't uh shut down until the end of the day. If they're, if they're doing the taxi for 12 hours, it runs 12 hours. Now, they may have only put 100 miles on it, but especially these days when it's so hot, you're, if you're in, I don't know if she just, she's from New York, she didn't say city, she could be in Buffalo or Schenectady or the, the city itself, but wherever you are, I'm telling you, in New York, it gets hot in July and August. So you're going to be running your air conditioner with the windows closed in particular because when you pick up your passenger, you don't want them getting into a real hot car. So you keep the air conditioner running. Air conditioner doesn't run unless the engine's running. So you got the engine running. Policemen many times are doing their job, but they're in and out of their car uh, or they're parked uh, handling a wreck, and they got those blue lights uh, going. So the car's running. So here's the deal. All of the maintenance uh, requirements that are set forth by people like, let's say, Ford Motor Company, GM, Toyota, when you have a vehicle that's placed into a fleet application, for example, a police car, every police car that comes from the manufacturer comes with what's called an installed hour meter in the car. And in their manuals for those vehicles, I've read exactly what it says. They tell them, either to use the hour meter exclusively or to calculate what they call an idle factor to use with their recorded odometer. For example, a moving 
vehicle, we use a conversion vector of 40 miles per hour. So if you had 100 hours, that would be equivalent to having driven 4,000 miles. But if you got a taxi cab, you could have 100 hours on it in two weeks, and you might have only driven uh, 1,000 miles, 500 miles. So yeah. you really have to depend upon your hours to set your change points because if you go by the mileage, you may really overextend the oil, and it, you can start really messing up your engine and transmission by overranging this oil. It's not the oil's fault. It wasn't designed to go that long. And you're misunderstanding what's happening. So if you're listening out there, one of our listeners, and you got any kind of vehicle that idles a lot and you don't really understand this this hours conversion and how to make sure that you're not overranging whatever oil you're using, uh, you know, shoot me a question on the uh uh over at thelooppage.com and, and get in touch with me. And I'll, I'll, I can send you some information on the conversion for miles to hours so that you get a feeling. For example, Amazon says on their uh, signature series oil that it's good for 25,000 miles not to exceed 600 hours of operation. Mm-hmm. So they're putting right in there. It's really close to that 40 miles per hour that, hey, if I did 600 hours at 40 miles per hour, that'd be 24,000 miles. So you're starting to see this more and more where hours are also stated in the actual official limits of the oil for a recommendation because it's so important. And all we want to do is protect people's cars and trucks. Uh, you know, the fleet guys out there driving the gas trucks and the electric trucks, they all got big power meters in them and that's what they go by because they, they've known this for, you know, the last 75 years. But the general driving public is kind of unaware of the necessity to pay attention to hours if you're in a situation where you idle your car an unusual mm-hmm. amount of time. So that should answer that question. Maybe we can get another one in. Absolutely. And just one little antidote. I noticed down in Florida here, uh, sometimes uh, there'll be cars running with Passengers in it just for the air conditioning while somebody's oh, yeah, in the yeah. store. Uh, so you got to take that into consideration as well. Absolutely, and it's it's not it's not a mystery. It's just that all that stuff is running, and what kills transmission oil is temperature. And when that torque converter is running and you're not moving, that the oil in that transmission is just as hot. Uh, and you have to remember that the time that it's hot is what controls its life. Wow. Hugo in Sarasota, Florida, listening on our great affiliate there, writes, I have a 32-foot boat with twin inboard 454 Chevy engines. Can I use 10W30, or do I need some type of special marine engine oil? That sounds like it's a very fast boat. Well, here's the thing about it. There's a lot of those uh, boats in that. This is an older boat, I can tell, because the 454 hadn't been around for a while. But the 454s, they would put twin in these boats, and they did have good speed. Nice, that good old 454 has a low engine torque, low RPM torque, so it's good on pushing a, a shaft. So those are pretty much straight shaft uh, boats coming right out the back, okay? Now, uh, he could use a standard oil, but he shouldn't, and here's why. Uh, marine engines are designed to go at higher RPM constantly all the time, okay? 
So when you have what's called a marinized engine, they take it in, they put a different camshaft in it, and it's all designed so that engine can sit there and run at 4,000 RPM all day long. Now, your car isn't designed to sit around and run at 4,000 RPM all day long. It doesn't have the right cams and stuff to do that, but a marinized engine does. So what does that mean? That means that, number one, I have to have an oil that really, if you look at it from an automotive standpoint, you need what we would call a high performance, like a racing oil to go in a marine engine because that high RPM situation all the time, they have a special measurement for oil, and I'm not going to get into it. I'll just name it. It's called high temperature, high shear. It's done at 300 degrees, 1,800 RPM, and by shear they mean does it maintain any viscosity at that level, Okay. That's a very important measurement for high-performance automobiles or for a marine application because, hey, I'm going to run this thing at a high RPM. I'm going to hold it there, and it's going to run at a pretty, that oil's going to run at a pretty high temperature. That's the critical measurement to make sure that my camshaft, and that's the most critical thing to lubricate in this case. So a true marine engine oil will be constructed in such a way that it has very good high-temperature, high-shear ratings, and then the second part is, uh, in most of these marine engine applications, you need still an oil that has a lot of zinc and phosphorus to give you the extra wear protection. And also, it needs to have excellent anti-corrosion uh, and rust capability because you're in a really high moisture area all the time, and you're going to get a lot of condensation inside the engine, and you're going to have to fight off not only uh, water contamination in the oil, but rust and oxidation inside the engine. So a real marine engine oil will have excellent rust inhibitors in it, and it will do the trick for you. So could you get by with a standard regular 10W30? Yeah. Would it be the best thing? No. Would it give you the long-lasting protection, keep those two uh, 454s running for many, many uh, more thousand hours? Uh, no. You need a good high-quality marine engine oil for that application. Great answer to a very good question. You can reach Dan at danwaffen at com. Give out your telephone number as well, Dan. It is 800-370-2986. Seems Great. Thanks for your time. That hour just flew. Folks, this is Bob Long, host of Auto World Radio, with great news. We have a new sponsor, Dan Watson, who distributes AMSOIL throughout the USA and Canada. Dan is one of AMSOIL's largest distributors. He's a former U.S. Navy nuclear specialist and a certified lubrication specialist with 25-plus years of experience. You can listen to Dan every Sunday evening live at 6 p.m. Eastern Time here on GCNlive.com. Get all of your questions answered and ensure you get the best lubrication for your car, truck, boat, or really anything that moves. In 1972, Amsoil pioneered synthetic lubrication, and Amsoil continues to provide the best lubrication money can buy. Get the best advice for the best results. Contact Dan at thelubepage.com. That's thelubepage.com. Or call 800-370-2986. That's 800-370-2986.